Mankind has been in a battle from the first sin of Adam and Eve to determine what is right and what is good and what is best and to reconcile that between what man believes in his own mind and his own heart and what God has said to be the absolute truth. And it is that constant battle that we are in each and every day between every decision that we make and that is made for us to fight for the reality of what we can accept, what we can call good, what we can endure, what we can believe in, what we can support, and what God has called to be right and good and true. And because we struggle with that each and every day, we find all kinds of ways to play in the gray. We find kind, all kinds of ways to, to compensate for the decisions that we make so that we can carry on with the other parts of our life. We even have names for lies that don't impact us. We call them little white lies. Anybody ever tell those little white lies? Some of you probably online right now are feeling good about not being here in person this morning because I can't see your face. If you could see what I see right now, you would be loving life because I just struck a nerve, and it's good. Because I want that nerve to be exposed today. I want it to be raw, and I absolutely want you to be uncomfortable with what I'm about to say this morning. And the reason why I want you to find the discomfort with that is is because so many times we have found comfort in doing what is wrong and calling it right. And right now, in these United States, in this place that we live in, in the world that we live in, outside of our own country, we have exchanged what is true for what is false. We have called what is good to be evil, and what evil is now good. My dad used to tell me, especially as a young man, he actually told me this, and and. It, and I can see it now that what he was saying to me, I can pass on to my own kids, even though I still struggle with two young adults some days as they're navigating life and figuring out the decisions that they make. And if, if you're a parent, you probably know that as your kids get older, that they make decisions and you just shake your head and go, I know that I didn't teach them that. I'm not so sure their mother didn't, but I know I didn't teach them that. I have great kids. They make pretty good decisions, but they're still human, and so they're going to error, right? They're going to make mistakes. But I remember my dad telling me once, he goes, you know what, son? I actually feel like I have done a good job teaching you the difference between right and wrong and teaching you the difference between good and evil. He says, in fact, I think you're going to always know what the right thing to do is. However, you're going to always have difficulty actually doing it. Anybody else suffer with that? And I hate to say it, but I say it over and over. The more, the older I get, the more my dad was right. And I have found myself in more morally ambiguous decision-making in my lifetime, knowing the right thing to do, but struggling to actually do it. And I want to blame my dad for that, but he didn't get me in those bad situations because I believe I am the sum total of all the decisions I've ever made, good and bad, and how I respond and how I react. Some of you may have siblings or, or cousins or people that are close to you in life who are maybe raised the same way or even by the same people, and they make decisions that are completely different than what you make. And, and I will be fair to say it's easy for us to judge those siblings because you're obviously smarter than they are and better than they are. But in reality, is it's just another decision that they made and, and, and that you didn't or vice versa. And, and so we struggle and continue to struggle with knowing what the right thing to do is. And unfortunately, we compensate for doing the wrong thing by feeling good about it. Now, 2016, we saw a lot of this, and you're about to hear a lot more of it in the coming weeks, of this concept called vote your conscience. Now, I'm not here to give you a political campaign or a stump, but I will caution you about the problem with voting your conscience. Because the problem with voting your conscience is you have determined what is right and wrong, and your conscience allows you to make decisions that are in line with your values and your beliefs. And I would normally be okay with that if I could have a conversation about the basic principles of the Bible with every human being that I come in contact with. Because then I might actually believe that their conscience is dictated by their beliefs and their values because their beliefs and values are, are deeply influenced by the truth of God's Word. But I do not believe that to be true in these United States today. I don't believe that to be true in this world. And so when somebody says they vote their conscience, I believe that. They have voted their conscience. 
but they have also justified their decisions that are not based upon the truth of God's word. They know what the right thing to do is, but they're having a difficult time actually doing that because there are consequences for choices made. There are ramifications for decisions made. There are difficulties in what we're doing. And so how can we know what the right thing to do is? Have you ever been in that conversation with a friend? And if you've been in that conversation with a friend or with a child or with a parent or or a peer or even a boss or whoever, trying to figure out what you know the right thing, I just want to challenge, is it is it just remotely possible that you actually know the right thing to do, but you just don't want to do it? You're just having difficulty actually doing what is right. You ever watch a kid commit just an outright sin right in front of you? You ever watch a kid in a, in a store knowing they're not supposed to have candy? We had this conversation before we got out of the car. We told you we're not buying candy today. And what happens when we get to the checkout? They, they have one hand here and an eye on mom and dad. Watching to see if we can start the conversation again about what you told me I couldn't do. I know you told me I couldn't have it, but could I convince you otherwise? Did God really say not to eat from the fruit of the tree, that if you do so, you will surely die? You see how that comes into play? How we're in this constant slow fade, if you will, of, of, of compensating for bad decisions because we feel good about it? And let's be honest, if you tell yourself a lie enough times, it becomes truth for you. And there's yet another one of those great terms, tell your truth. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit tired of having my emotions manipulated. But to be honest with you, I've opened the gates for that because I allow a lot of junk in. And it gets me all in twisted places, and I'm having difficulties actually doing the right thing. And at some point, you actually move to a place where I don't know what the right thing to do is. Have you been there? I know there's a better decision than what I can possibly make, and I can reach out and try to find some wisdom, but I don't actually know the right thing to do. I know what I'll do. I'll go to someone who will side with me, who will make me feel good about my decision. I don't know about you, but that's not a friend. Not if they're going to let you make a decision you feel good about, but no, it's the wrong decision to do. Do you surround yourself with yes people? You don't have to say yes right now. That would be self-fulfilling. Is it not good to have someone who's going to argue with you a little bit and to to sharpen you a little? I mean, after all, iron sharpens iron. Feathers don't sharpen iron. It's good to have someone who may challenge you and push against you and, if nothing else, make you own your decisions instead of just going to someone saying, if I ask them, they'll tell me the right thing to do and I'll feel good about it because there's, there's truth by consensus. Oh, yet another one. Truth by consensus. We also call that democracy. I know you don't want to hear that this morning because it's painful and some of the choices that we're making that we're having to be made. So how can we know what the right thing to do is? I have a simple answer for you. It's in the book. If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're continuing our series, Hope in Hard Times. And one of the things that we talked about is, is our hope is Jesus and our hope is in Jesus. And last week, in the last couple of weeks, we talked about 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, where we said that, that because of his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a resurrected Jesus. That he's given us a living hope that we can have that. And this morning, I want to continue this conversation because what Peter is continuing to talk to his readers and to those in the five provinces who are are, are amongst pagans, amongst people who don't have a similar faith system or value they do. He's reminding them of persecution that's coming, but he's saying to practice, like we talked last week, be prepared for a coming persecution. And this time right now, it's not even organized, but it's going to get bad. And when it gets bad, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult for us to make those decisions. And so as we continue this conversation in chapter 13, or verse 3, uh, 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 chapter 3, verses 13 through, through uh, 20 this morning, we're going to see where, where Peter is really talking to us about something that's really interesting. And so my question again is, how can we know the right thing to do? Well, the first thing we can, we can know is to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Now, that in and of itself ought to be enough. We could say amen this morning if we absolutely understood what it meant to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Because it is not in the nature of mankind to say, I willfully give up all my desires and submit to God to say, I will do what he wants me to do because I call him Lord, and rightfully so because he is. That is not in our nature to do so, and it doesn't happen instantaneously once we confess Jesus as our Lord and Master and Savior. 
It is a process of, of being made like Christ where we have to, to have those things taken from us, where we have to give some of those things away, where we have to be willing to listen and submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ because submission is not something that we just enjoy. And so let's look at, at chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, where, where 1 Peter says this. It says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that you make, the hope that is in you. Yet do it with and with respect. Now, some of you have heard that passage before. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lives within you. Always be prepared to give an answer. The word apologetics comes from there, and it's not a, an apology like I'm sorry. It's a defense of truth. And, it's, and, and Peter is reminding us that we're going to be placed into situations where we're going to be required to give an answer, a reason for the hope that is within us. But as we do so, we need to make sure that we're, we're very uh, uh, clear on the difference between hurt and harm. Now, do you know the difference? Be because this is not just a physical response. It's a theological response, but it's also just the reality of what Peter is saying is that once we submit to the lordship of Christ, once we belong to him forever and ever, when we have those difficulties in making the decision of knowing what is right, man can pressure us, man can coerce us, man can harm us uh, physically, but cannot harm our spirit because we belong to God. And he says what's going to happen is you're going to get tortured one way or the other, psychologically, physically, emotionally, whatever the case may be. It may be a lot of different ways. And why they can hurt your body, they cannot harm your soul. And if, if in submitting to the Lordship of Christ... What you understand is, is that I have been given authority, power, and also the precursor to know that I'm going to have to endure this because God has this for me. And when I do have a reason for the hope that lives within me, I give that reason with gentleness and with respect. It's not a matter of, ha, 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 I have God, the rest of you don't, and that's why you're so messed up. I sure hope it turns out for you pretty well. I don't know. Bill Cosby used to be a great storyteller, and he, he told the story of Noah and his conversation with Noah about building the ark. And what Cosby would say over and over, and it was a, this, this funny line, whenever Noah would question God about what's an ark or why should I build an ark or I don't want to do this, God would ask him this question, how long can you tread water? And it was comical because he would just bring it back over and over, and every time he would he would push back about why he couldn't build an ark because he didn't know how, God gave him instructions. He didn't he couldn't build an ark because he didn't have the materials. God gave him materials. He couldn't bring all the animals in. God said, "Don't worry, I take care of that." God, all these people out here are ridiculing me and making fun of me and poking fun at me and calling me these bad things, and 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 God would just kind of look at him and go, "Hey Noah, how long can you tread water?" The the alternative is you can be like just like everybody else, or you could submit to my lordship, and you can do the things that may seem crazy to the rest of this world, and by the way, they do, but it's not the rest of the world that can harm you. They can only hurt you. They can hurt your reputation, so don't give them a reason to. Treat them with gentleness and respect and with kindness. Be ready to give a reason. And let me tell you something. I've seen lots of people argue, and I've seen the Karens of the world come out and all these fun memes, and I've seen people just get on their high horse and talk about the about how God is this and how God is this. And I've watched churches like Westboro Baptist Church who just bring this hate with them that is not filled with love. And I've got to be honest with you, when I look at any of that, all I beg is please don't say you're a Christ follower. Please don't put you and me in the same camp if you're going to behave that way. Because that's not the reason for the hope that's in you. That's the flesh coming out in such a way. And while God has spoken to your heart at some point where you have, you have obtained some measure of knowledge, what you have said is, I think I've got a better way to go about doing this. It's going to be by force. It's going to be by ridicule. It's going to be by shame. It's going to be by anger. It's going to be by loud. It's going to be by whatever. And Jesus is speaking to us fairly clearly, saying, listen, do so with respect and with humility. Don't give people a reason to doubt the hope that's in you. Because I got news for you. When, when we behave that way, people don't look at us and go, you know, I'll bet that person's just a Jesus follower. I can tell by their anger. I can tell by the vein popping out on the side of their forehead that they're a Christ follower. That's not the answer that we give. That's not the hope that we have. It's not submitting to the Lordship of Christ. It's not someone who says, listen, God loves me so much that he didn't force me. 
to submit to his lordship. But at his name, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow one day. And I got news for you, folks. I got, I got, a, I got a good feeling that, that, that when that day comes, it'll be those who do not willingly submit to the lordship of Christ. And that when, when they see him and when he announces who he is, it will be a response to the holiness of God that requires them to be on their face, declaring him the Lord God Almighty. That doesn't mean that they're saved. It just means that they recognize the authority of their creator. And it will be almost like a reflex of the creation to its creator. And it won't be giving a reason for the hope they have. It will be submitting to this authoritarian God who gave them opportunity to submit to them out of love, and they chose not to. And Peter is saying, listen, you're going out in the world like sheep led to the slaughter. Sound familiar? And when you get out there and when they try to hurt you, when they ridicule you, when they talk bad about you, when they speak down to you, when they call you names, and they will, by the way, be worthy of the names that they call you. Be worthy of the things they say about you. If anybody could be a better witness to this, it's Peter, who three times said, oh, no, I'm not with that guy. I don't know this dude at all. And he's saying, listen, if nothing else, pay attention to me. Don't do what I do. Submit yourself to the lordship of Christ. And in submitting the lordship of Christ, when these difficult situations come, when people come and they pressure you and say, listen, if you don't denounce this Christ, I'm not going to do business with you. If you don't denounce this Christ, your kids aren't going to get this opportunity. If you don't denounce this, you're not going to do that. If you don't do, when, when they come at you and they hurt you in this world's understanding of hurt, understand they can't harm you, but you can harm yourself by denouncing Christ. And he's encouraging them, please, just submit yourself to the lordship of Christ. And when you submit yourself to the lordship of Christ, you actually get to ask that question without having to look at your wristband of what would Jesus do? What Jesus would do is he would treat people with humility. He would treat them with love. He would endure things that he didn't have to endure. He would be accused of a great many things that he never did. And he wouldn't even defend himself and refute him. One of the great difficulties that the disciples had with Jesus, particularly Peter, was why won't you stand up and fight against this? These people are saying all these things about them and about you. And Jesus would just kind of look at Peter and just go, but they're not true. And I don't have to convince them that those things aren't true. But I'm not going to argue them onto my side. I'm going to love them in the reality that you can say whatever you want about me. You can even nail me to a cross and stick a spear in my side. And I'm going to die for you anyway because I love you. Because you're worth it. And no matter what you say or what you do, I'm going to submit to the lordship of my father, and I'm asking you to submit to the lordship of me. Because at the end of the day, no matter what happens to you physically, it's your soul that endures forever. And I got this. They can't harm you in those ways. Right now, we trust our feelings and the problem with our feelings is that we miss out on the reality that we check our brains at the door. A bumper sticker that still bothers me, but I actually see a whole lot of truth in that that I've seen before. It says, don't preach in my barn. I won't think in your church. And the difficulty with that is, is that we go to places and we, that we've, we've determined these dens of sinners, right? And we go to these places because these types of places are the places where sinners are. And we're going to go and we're just going to press Christ down their throat and, 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 and we're going to hurry up. I've been on, I don't know how many short-term mission trips and it's always amazing how bold people are for the gospel because they're leaving in six days. You better hurry up. I've got, and I'm taking him when I go. And they don't bother to meet needs or be relational. They're not all bad, don't get me wrong. Sometimes they, they do it right. But when we're all busy just about gloom and doom and we're not realizing that there's a person behind there who has history just like each and every one of us do, we get our feelings all wrapped up. We, we do actually forget to check our brains at the door. And, and we, we stop thinking, and if we're to love the Lord our God with our own hearts, our soul, our mind, our strength, we have to understand that our emotions are important and, and that they're there for us, but they're also there for us to ignite within us our brains to think about this rationally and to even go back to the truth of God's word and to, to utilize those things that take us to the right action. And the right action is not violence. The right action is not obstinance. The right action is not to be disrespectful to those who think, believe, and act differently towards us. Jim Elliott, some of you may have read his story or, or maybe seen the film Into the Sphere when, when he was down in Central America. Jim Elliott was going to cre uh, create an opportunity to meet with some indigenous people, and he was going to find them, and he'd been studying them, and they'd never actually come in contact with them. These people were very, very dangerous. And, and his son says, Dad, 
um, are you going to take a gun with you? And, and he says, no, son, I'm not. He goes, well, what if they throw uh, spears and arrows and stuff at you? Are, are you going to shoot back? And, he, and Jim Elliott said to him, he says, no, son, I'm not. He goes, why not, Dad? Why wouldn't you defend yourself? He says, son, these people aren't ready to meet Jesus. Jim Elliott died on that trip. And his wife and his children decided to stay there. Over time, the man who actually killed Jim Elliott became the person who was the, the father figure in their children's life. And if you've ever seen this film or, or read this book or know the story about this, as the kids get a little older, one of them has this asthma attack. And, and, and he can't understand what's going on. And what he begins to say is, is that, the, that, that, that there's an evil spirit that's doing this to her. And the doctors are trying to help out, and he's fighting the doctors as they're trying to help save her. And they have to finally convince him they're just there to help. And he's saying, well, we don't need their help. We need God's help. We need God's help. Far too often our emotions get us wrapped up into taking action that really aren't going to make the situation any better because what we bother to do is take God out of the equation. And we've not submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And when we don't submit to the Lordship of Christ, if we've claimed him as our God and our Father, why would anybody else submit to the Lordship of Christ either? Hey, it's only important to submit to the Lordship of Christ when things get really bad. But until then, there's a threshold that you get to set for yourself to make whatever decisions that you like. Just as long as it doesn't embarrass you or make you feel bad, it doesn't cost you too much. And that's not what Peter is saying. He's saying a submission to the Lordship of Christ actually puts you in, the, cons- in the, the consistency of always making the same decisions for what is right according to the truth of Scripture, not what feels good today. That was a big movement back in the 70s, right? If it feels good, do it. Terrible, terrible. And it's crept into our theology today because it feels nice to say good things or do certain things. I'm glad we feel good when we do nice things. We should. That's something that God rewards us with. But if we're not doing them in the name of Christ and leading them to see the reality that there's a God who loves us, then it's not enough. Peter says the second thing that we can actually see, uh, do to, to understand what the right thing to do is to have a good conscience. This is challenging for me. And as I was studying this past week, I was looking at a whole lot of different passages of Scripture, and it's amazing how many times the consciousness is spoken of. And how important it was for us to know what that means and to understand that. Now, the conscience basically is this. It's the translator between the Holy Spirit and you understanding not only what is right and what is good and what is true and what is pure, but actually doing that. And there are so many times by which we don't have good consciences, but we feel good about what we're doing. And so our conscience is clear because we've decided to do whatever because our conscience said it was okay. The problem with that is is that we miss out on the reality that everybody's got a conscience. And that if we all define what morality is and what truth is and what the baseline of what right and wrong is, we're going to have to have a a tiebreaker somewhere, right? Because what I think is good and right and true, and what I think is good and right and true, we may just walk away saying this. Let's just agree to disagree. Isn't that a good, fun thing for us to say? Well, the problem is, is that you and I can disagree about a whole lot of things, but the book says what the book says. And if we haven't submitted to that, instead of the tiebreaker being the truth of God's word, the tiebreaker is who can out-argue the other one or out-shame the other one. When really the book actually tells us to outdo one another in doing good, not in evil. Peter says this in verse 16 and 17. He says, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. There's, there, there's, a, there's a problem here with this, this last passage that we don't often pay attention to. To have a good conscience means to make decisions that are in line with what God wants us to do because we've submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And when we take things back to the Lordship of Christ, it's easy for us to go back and say, you know what, I don't know the right thing to do, but I'm going to ask God the Father who says that he will give me the answers when I need them, and then my work to do is to do it or not. And so I actually don't have to know all the time what the right thing to do is, but I do have to know who to ask what it is and then actually go and do it, which is actually really what my dad was saying to me for all those years. Son, I could tell you the right thing to do, but your hard-headed stubbornness is going to go, I don't really want to do that. Or it could be something a matter of, you know what, that's probably the right answer. I just don't like that person, and I don't want to do what they tell me to do. Anybody feel that way? You got influences in your life, especially maybe one of those 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 nemesis or one of those people who just kind of seems to always get under your skin, and when they're actually right, it just burns you up to go, man, I don't like, I can't have it. 
maybe I can find an alternative. Maybe I can find another way so I don't have to admit to that person that they were right. Here's the thing. You don't have to do that with God. If we're submitting to his lordship and we're maintaining a good conscience, what we might actually understand is that God may have actually caused us, and this is what verse 17 says, to actually suffer. That's not what we like to hear about it in any circles. You mean that it may be, in fact, God's will for those who submit to the lordship of Christ to have to suffer? Why would God do that? I mean, after all, why would a loving, caring, all-knowing God allow all these things to happen in this world? Why do we have sicknesses? Why do children die? Why is COVID-19 incapacitating our, our economy and making people make all kinds of decisions and dividing this? Why does our president do this? Why does our, 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 our candidate do this? Why, do, why are, if God really love, God really wants us to suffer? I mean, what kind of a God is that? And why would I want to submit to a God who wants us to suffer? Let me tell you something about suffering. And those of you who are a little bit older and a little bit grayer, I think you probably understand this a little bit better because you've seen some circumstances and you've had some life experiences where you didn't get it right. And you suffered probably more than you had to because you looked for a workaround or a cheaper way or an easier way to do it. And the older you get, the more you realize is, you know what, I just need to take my lumps and move on. That way I can move on to the next thing, whatever I want to do. Anybody with me on that, especially some of you folks that are over the age of 45? It's amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. And what the great struggle is, is that we don't realize that in suffering, God provides us an opportunity to demonstrate our dependence upon him. And it may actually be God's will that we suffer. Because the best way to avoid persecution is to look like your persecutor. Now, I'm not saying go out there and pick a fight. But I think I would be greatly derelict if I didn't tell you that the profession of Christ in your life is walking into a fight already. And if you think you're just going to kind of coast through it and be mediocre in how you believe and how you live and only submit partially to the Lordship of Christ, he didn't partially die for you. And he didn't partially come back to life. He was all dead and all alive and he was fully God the entire time. And he forgave all of your sins, not just some of them. Not just most of them, or not just a certain section of them. And if God calls us to suffer, then he's given us the power and the authority to do so. But here's where we suffer the most, is how we walk away from God and we say, listen, I think i got a better way to do this. And we actually get ourselves into a mindset, into a wrong consciousness, to where we can call what is evil good and what is good evil. This past week, a friend of mine uh, sent me a, a, an email and he goes, hey, I'm... I'm and he's from out of town. He said, hey, uh, I'm in a men's Bible study, and one of the men last week in our Bible study said, you know, uh, the nation of Israel and the United States are the only two nations that God ever blessed, according to the Bible. And he says, John, I, I had difficulty with that. And I just re replied back, I'm like, why is that a hard thing? I mean, what, what's, what's your problem? Now, I knew exactly why he was having difficulty with that. And I was glad to hear that his first answer was, I've never seen the United States in the Bible. And I said, well, here's the, here's the difficulty. Right now, we're not seeing much of the Bible in the United States. And, and we've got to change that. We've got to fix that. And as we began to talk about this and have all these different conversations, I said, you know what? I said, here's the thing. We are a blessed people, truly indeed. But I fear we're squandering our blessing here in these great United States that we have and the great freedoms that we have. I feel like we're squandering those spiritual blessings. But I have a hard time believing that a nation is blessed by God who has legalized drug use, who has legalized prostitution, who has legalized uh, uh, pornography, who has legalized abortion in this country, and we still call ourselves blessed. I have a very difficult problem with saying that this United States is blessed by God, when yet we turn our back on him and we call what is evil good and what is good and evil, and we, we do that under, under the auspices of, of being legalized. I fear what your friend is saying, as I wrote to him back, is that this is nothing more than the prosperity gospel because we don't have widespread starvation, because we don't have a, a, you know, the majority of our people out of work, because we're not in a war on our own soil right now, God must be blessing us. At the very best, I could just call that luck. But I'm going to tell you something. It won't take much for a people who, who call that blessing uh, from God but don't call upon God for the blessing to crumble when just a little bit of heat gets turned up because they don't submit to the Lordship of Christ and they don't have a good consciousness because somewhere, listen, and here's where we're, here's where we're, we're getting tied into this. 
what happens is is that someone voted their conscience and they voted to, to pass these laws to make these things legal in these United States. And they said it's right for people to be able to choose these things for themselves because that's our democracy. I got news for you. The, the, the scripture doesn't speak to democracy. It speaks to, the, to, to God the king, a theocracy. And it speaks to his word being truth and always truth and not circumstantial truth. And where we have great difficulty navigating this world is that we want to have a good conscience to say that I believe that everybody should have this and this and this and this and this. And and really what we're saying is I believe in fairness. And if you really believe in fairness, what you ought to be looking at with fairness is not bringing everybody up to a level, but bringing everybody down to a level. Because that's where fairness actually could thrive. Some of you have this look on your face going, what is wrong with him this morning? A lot. And always. Don't leave it just for this morning. Let me tell you what's wrong with this this morning. Let me tell you where I'm struggling with this this morning. Is because the more I read passages like this, the more I hear my dad echoing in my ear saying, you knew what the right thing to do was, but you didn't do it. And you actually walked away with a good conscience saying, you know what, I made a good decision today. I feel good about making that decision never consulted the Lordship of Christ with that. Well, John, if that's really the case and that's the, that's the deal, why do we have elected officials who are so far away from the Scripture, who are making laws to make evil good? In our, why do we have all of those things? i got news for you. This is I told my friend. We're not a blessed nation by God. We're a people who need to turn to Him and seek His blessings every day because He's the one who's going to change these things, and we're not a nation that submits to the Lordship of Christ. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know that said nation actually exists right now. Because even Israel, the chosen people of God, have yet to declare him Messiah. And until they do so, they're not going to enjoy the blessings that he promised them in all of the Old Testament. They're missing out on that. And so when they suffer, even for it to be God's will, instead of seeing that as an opportunity to proclaim the goodness of God, they woe is me. They find ways to to compensate for bad decisions so that they can have a good conscience about things. Now, here's the difficulty. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 tells us this. It says, For when Gentiles who do do not have the law, meaning the Scriptures, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You see, we all have a conscience. And God has actually shown each and every one of us the reality of who he is in a variety of different ways. And when we act according to that and we submit to that and we understand that or even long to know better that, we begin to move that direction. But unfortunately what happens is is that we make decisions with a good conscience, so we think, because we approve of it. We appreciate it. It works for us. It's in our standard, not God's standard. And so our consciousness actually gets seared. And we actually begin to, 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 to move away from what is right and good and pure and true and we move to what is okay and acceptable and all right and good enough. And we do that enough, and over time we rally people to think and believe and act the same way that we do, and we find ourselves replacing good with okay. Are y'all good with that, or are you okay with that? I just want to see where y'all are. And what this passage tells us that Paul writes to us in Romans chapter 2 is that we all have a consciousness, and we all suffer from that. And God has actually saw fit to give us a consciousness. And I told you a minute ago that our conscience is our guide, and that guide actually listens to the Holy Spirit. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he tells us this. This is Paul again writing to Timothy. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in, listen, in later times... Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness are seared. I love a good faith healing video better than anybody else. I'm convinced that some of those guys have bricks in their jackets when they pop those dudes on the forehead, you know, or the front row. I mean, I love to watch that because I see just nothing but, but comedy in that because I know it to not be true. Now, listen, don't, don't mishear me because right now some of you are going, Whoa, wait a minute. You're saying God can't do that? No. I'm saying God absolutely can do that. I'm saying he doesn't have to have it on video. I'm saying he doesn't have to have man manufacture those things. 
Many years ago, I took some sixth grade kids down to an inner city mission trip. We were uh, feeding homeless people under the bridge. This other trip service set up, and, and this lady began to speak in tongues. And I'm watching, see, like, I don't understand what's going on here. I'm like, hey, me either, but I'm going to put a smile on my face, and we're going to endure this for a moment because there's 45 of you, and I'm trying to figure out what to do right now. I know what the right thing to do is. I just don't know how to do it, right? In the process of this, the lady says, the Lord has put on my heart today the names of people to heal of HIVs. And I go, oh, man. And now i got parents looking at me going, are you going to make my kids endure this? We're Baptists for crying out loud. We can't have all this. And they're looking at me and trying to figure out what do we do. And finally, I just look at the kids and I say, watch me. Follow me. And we get up and we walk out. And about 50 of us just very quietly get up and walk out of there. The lady starts screaming at me on the microphone, calling me out in front of all these kids and everybody else that's out there. I just waved and went on about what we were doing, took the kids back to the place where we were meeting, and the, the host, he says, I've been praying for you all the way back. It's about a five-mile drive. I said, well, did you get any good revelations from the Lord? He goes, yeah. God just said to me, hey, Mike, aren't you glad you're not John? As I sat down and tried to explain what just happened there to these kids, I was so grateful that one of these kids whose parents raised her well, even in the sixth grade, says, Mr. Davis, I don't know what that is, but that was not from the Holy Spirit because it divided us. It didn't just cause us to be curious. It divided us. And what really, really bothered me was how come that lady was so comfortable in doing that? I'm not doubting God's power and authority to heal people, but I absolutely have question marks whenever somebody says God's given me a specific authority that he hasn't given to everybody else and I'm going to call you out by name today and even this and I'll just tell you the rest of the story real quick when she couldn't get people by name to come up she just used the same dart and a bigger target said well if you know somebody by this name who has HIV or hepatitis come up I got news for you God doesn't heal by proxy that's not how God works he doesn't save by proxy either he has a one on one relationship with every human being who bows their heart to him and commits their Lord to the Christ not through somebody else, but through a direct relationship with Him. And when we begin to, when we get to twist that and stand, we get this seared consciousness because I believe with all my heart that she thought what she was doing that day was right and good and true. And she felt good about that. And that feeling of doing good caused her actions to take motion. And in doing such, she created great confusion. That doesn't mean we, we, we didn't have something to learn because all of us do. But everybody has a consciousness and a blessed nation like we are today is not going to have a good conscience if we allow such terrible atrocities to be legalized and call it good and people's right to have. Well, what right do you evangelical pastor have to stand up and tell people they can't do what they want to do with their own bodies? It's not about rights. It's about responsibilities for me. I just want to tell the truth of God's word that every life is valuable and that life begins in the womb at conception and that God knew that then and knows that now and he's got great plans for that for that unborn child, and that it is not just a right to terminate a pregnancy. Let's just call it what it is, to end a life. It's a responsibility of everybody to defend life on all levels, and to do that well. And when our consciousness is seared, we've replaced what is good with evil, and what is evil with good. And the church gets a bad rap because they stand on our principles, and they say, oh, the church ought not be doing all this political stuff. i got news for you. A life in a womb is not political. It's a life. get off that soapbox for a moment. Because my my comment to you this morning, if you take anything away, is, is to say that a good conscience is evidence of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I have to preface that in such a way to say that a good conscience is rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. And there are four things I would like to show you this morning before our time ends this morning. I know I'm running a little long, and I'm sorry for that. How can we have a good conscience? First of all, we allow the Holy Spirit to work freely in our lives. And let's be fair, most of us in Protestant America have a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. We even get a little afraid of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned speaking in tongues earlier. It was kind of fun watching some of your faces go, Whoa. I don't have that gift, so I can tell you where I am on that. I don't have it, but I believe it was a gift that God gave, and I'm just going to trust that whenever God has someone in my presence doing that, that it's going to be according to the Bible. There's going to be an interpreter out there, and it's going to be able to be verified by Scripture. It's not going to be new revelation. It's going to be found in Scripture, and it's going to support what God has already said, okay? But it sure was fun to watch some of your faces. We allow the Holy Spirit to work freely in our lives. John 16, 8 through 11 says, And when He comes, He being the Holy Spirit, 
He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit helps us to see the, the, the guilt in our sin. If we didn't have a good consciousness that was provided for us by the Holy Spirit, who's pleading and crying out and helping us to know what the right thing to do is, he can't force us to actually do it, but he can act as a translator to say, listen, this is in line with the person of God who has revealed himself to you in so many ways, and when you find yourself in a difficult situation, especially a sinful situation, or one that takes you out of right standing with God, I will whisper in your ear, I will cry into your heart, I will nudge you all the ways that I can, but it is up to you to actually obey that. And you're not obeying the Holy Spirit per se, you are just coming in line with what God has already said, and he has sent his messenger, his helper, his advocate, to plead on his behalf with you and for you. That's one of the things we miss about the Holy Spirit. When we don't know what to pray, guess what? He groans for us. He cries out on behalf of the Lord because we have submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And when our conscience is not sure about what the right thing to do is, the Holy Spirit speaks the truth of God's Word. And the only way we're going to know that to be true is we actually got to know God's Word. And that's point number two. We've got to allow the Word of God to influence every aspect of our lives. If I were to ask you to be honest today, how many of you didn't open your Bible since last Sunday, or even then, because I put the words on the screen for you, I would just very easily say that if you come at me and say, I feel like God wants me to do this, and I asked you, could you please show me where God may have spoken about that in Scripture before, you couldn't do it, I'm going to doubt your conscience to be clean on that. Now, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not even saying you're making a bad decision. And it may actually be the right decision. But I will tell you, don't come to me declaring what God is telling you in your heart if you haven't read it for yourself and haven't found it and haven't submitted to the Lordship of God in all aspects. It's okay to have a a missing part of knowledge in the Scripture, but it's not okay to have a complete void of knowledge and then claim God. God told me, did you read the Scripture? No. Are you sure that was God? Well, I don't know. It sounded like God. It was God-type things, he would say. Well, what does God sound like? Well, I don't know. How can you know what God sounds like? How can you know what God speaks like? Let me tell you something. God doesn't contradict himself. And over and over and over again in his word, he reveals who he is and in his character. And so if we have a bad conscience and we make a decision that's outside of a good conscience, let me tell you something. We're going to feel good about it if we don't consult the Scripture. And the Holy Spirit calls us back to the truth of God's Word because all the revelation that God's going to give to us, He's given to us. He doesn't give us something new for your situation for the moment. And the reason is, is because He doesn't have to. Because what He did once and for all on the cross was enough. We must allow the, the, the truth of God's Word to influence every aspect of our life. And that has to be a willing submission to that because the Word of God is living and true in all aspects. And it's never wrong and never contrary to the character of God and what God wants for our lives. And if we're being absolutely honest this morning, one of the great issues that I can go back to my friend's email and the conversation we have is to call ourselves blessed but ignore the Word of God is not incongruent. It does not work. We're a blessed people, but we never consult God. We never read His Word. And we certainly, if we don't read it, we don't have to submit to it. Because ignorance, after all, is bliss. What I don't know about what God has to say allows me to continue to live my life, my life the way that I want to and feel good about it. Just be honest. That's exactly what's happening. And every one of us could find an aspect of our, of our life where we have permitted sin to dominate because we don't want to deal with it according to the truth of God's word. There's something in every one of us. That's not okay, but it is human. And God says, I can help you to endure that. I can help you to overcome that. And the reason I can do that is in that temptation that, that leads to sin, which leads to death, comes at you, submit to my Lordship. Come to me. And if you're not sure, consult my advocate, my helper that I've sent to you. The third thing is that only through the cleansing blood of Christ can we have a good conscience. Many times we, we, we like this ideal of confession, and, and we had a couple of weeks in our small group, it was a good conversation about we don't, don't, uh, we don't practice confession anymore. And i got to be honest with you, most people, when they confess, they feel better. I mean, there's crying, and there's tears, and there's hurt, and there's agony, and there's pain. There's just something about getting that off your chest. There's just something about moving to the next step of resolution to say, this no longer haunts me or hangs over me, it's out there now. And because it's out there now, I, I confess this. Now I have to deal with it. And, I, and actually, part of my, my issue and anxiety was not having to deal with it. But now i got to deal with it because I confessed it. 
Now, I'm not taking away from confession, but I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes we think that confession is just enough, and confession without transformation is not enough. And this is not gospel plus and Christ and. I'm just saying it's not enough just to run around and say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. You actually need to take steps to not do it again. To, to not allow that to continue to rule in your life in such a way that you kept it secret from yourself and from others. And so how do you do that? It's the cleansing blood of Christ. Hebrews 9:14. how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Everything you do with a good conscience but not a clean conscience, with a worldly conscience, with something that makes you feel good but is contrary to the scripture, is a work of death. It's not life-affirming. It's not a work of life. And I'll go back to what I said a minute ago about all the sins we have legalized in our country. Just because it's legal doesn't mean we ought to be doing it and we ought to allow it and be okay with that. But we have exchanged it in such a way to say it's okay because we thought that we could just make something legal and it's okay and it's all right. And the difficulty is, is that what we miss out is that we can even say, well, you know what, it is legal, but it's really bad. And people shouldn't do that. Let me tell you something. Just tell them that's not enough. You need to take them to the place where the atoning blood of Christ washes over them and takes them from act of death to a living, breathing God, or more so, as Peter has said, to a living hope in Christ through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And just calling those things out and just making people feel a little better about confession is not enough. We need to take them to a relationship with Jesus. Finally, Peter actually ends this chapter with us by knowing what Christ did for us and why he did it. I mentioned Noah earlier, and I want to just close with this this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let me just briefly uh, say this about this, this last passage. What Peter is trying to help us to understand is that Christ was the example for us. And yes, we need more than just an example. We need a Savior. And what our Savior actually showed to us and demonstrated, even through God's patience in the time of Noah, was that he was capable of not only conquering death, but demonstrating the reality of him conquering death once and for all. So it doesn't have to be, be done for us over and over and over again. I'm one of those people who does not believe that we can lose our salvation. What I actually believe is that we can turn our back on God because we have a seared consciousness that we turn away from him because we get away from the truth. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to be his forever. And I don't think this passage tells us that Jesus went and preached to, to, to the dead and gave them a second time. What this passage actually says in the word preached in the, in the original Greek is proclamation. And he says, I told you all that I was Lord God Almighty. I told you that I was the Son of God and that I was the way. And because you did not submit to the lordship of me earlier on, I'm demonstrating to you my power over this, over this death and over this place, so that you will know that I did, res uh, that I did save eight people to come out because I believe in my greatest creation. But for those of you who rejected me, there's not going to be an opportunity, but you will see the proclamation of the lordship of Christ. And I believe on that day that those, those spirits that were in prison, every knee bowed and every tongue confessed who he was. And it wasn't... It wasn't about him being mean or cruel. It was about the proclamation of a living Savior and him demonstrating to them then that he was consistent then as he is now, having died for all of our sins. And so let me get back to the reality of a good consciousness and help us to understand that unfortunately we feel good about a lot of the decisions that we make. And sometimes we get challenged by, should I make this decision or not, or I don't know the right thing to do. And if we're looking for the world standards to help us understand that, or even looking to the past for that, the truth is, is that the passage written in this recorded historical document, the truth of God's word, is where we ought to be consulting. And we have such an ignorance of the Bible today that some of the everyday decisions that we make might feel good and placate us for the moment, but they're always temporary and they're never, never satisfying because we're leaving God out of the equation and we've got to bring him back into that. And so how can we have a good conscience? We submit to the Lordship of, of Christ. We make sure that everything that we do to maintain a good conscience is following all the tools that God has given us. The example of Christ having been resurrected from the dead. The gift of the Holy Spirit that was given for us. The truth of his word that was submitted to us. And to the cleansing of uh, atoning blood of Jesus Christ alone. 
And anything outside of that is going to continue to watch us go down and just buy a little time and buy a little time, and they're going to make bad decisions over and over again. Listen, Christ is not calling for our perfection. He said, I'm going to make you perfect in me and me alone. And so you're going to keep making bad decisions. But don't make bad decisions and feel good about it. Don't consistently make bad decisions and feel good about it. Don't make these bad decisions and say, well, I just feel like if God wanted to stop me, he would have. Because he may actually be allowing you to suffer so that you might have a greater dependence upon him. And it's not something that we like to to really go after and say, well, you know, God let this suffering happen to me. God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? And I I think the answer to that question is simply this. The reason why God allows us to suffer is so that whenever we finally have enough of listening to ourselves, we might actually start listening to him. That's what he wants for us. And a good conscience will lead us to that through the help of the Holy Spirit. And so my hope for you, this week especially, is that you'll evaluate some of the decisions that you made according to the Scripture. Not anything else. Not anything that somebody makes you feel good about or what Facebook says or whatever your your bent is or news station, whatever. But the truth of God's Word. Spend more time there listening to the character of God, allowing Him to show you who He really is. Let's pray together. Father, in Christ's name, we come before you. Lord, having approved of some really bad decisions that made us feel good for the moment, but actually are are against you. And Lord, as a collective body of people, both as a church, as 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 a city, as a country, as a nation, just as humanity, Lord, we have sacrificed great for good. We have exchanged what is good for evil. And we might, we tried to make ourselves feel better about that. And so, Lord, our our plea to you today is that you would just hear our prayer and you would forgive us. That, Father, that we do, in fact, have a a sickened land. And that, Lord, that we would call upon you and you would hear our cries and you would heal that land. Not just the land where crops grow, but the place where people grow up to have the knowledge and the truth of you. Father, my prayer this morning over this congregation is that they would fall in love with the truth of your word especially those passages of Scripture that speak against their lifestyle, that speak against them in ways that say, you know what, I know I shouldn't be doing this, or I shouldn't think this way, or I shouldn't act this way, but if I just don't read it in, your, in God's Word, then I can go on about my day. God, I pray you just reveal those things to each and every one of us, and that your Holy Spirit would work mightily within us. Lord, forgive us for our sins and where we fail you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we